This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Friends. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. Tonight we reach the paramita of effort, virya or virya. It's my understanding, and I may be incorrect, but what I've been told is that etymologically this word virya is linked to uh, being virile. So from the very beginning of this tradition, there's been this little, this added seasoning to this of kind of a, a manliness. There's a masculine energy to this notion of effort. Right. And so maybe it's fitting that, that we only have men here tonight. Because, because we have to be careful about this. Right. We hear about this idea of effort, and we, it's easy for us as practitioners and just as human beings to bring to it a kind of heroic quality. You know, you're going to, to slay the dragon, whatever that is. You're going to burst through the door and save the day. But effort, at least in the context of Zen Buddhism, of this practice, is not what we usually associate with effort. It's not where our mind immediately goes. When I think of effort, the first thing that comes to mind is something that makes me kind of grunt. <laughs> you know, I think of opening a jar because I do a lot of opening jars. My wife hands me a jar and says, you do this. Right? It makes me feel like I'm important. And I strain and I flex. And, and then there's a little pop. It's so satisfying. Right? It was closed and now it's open. <laughs> and I get all the credit for this. There was a beginning, there was a middle, and there was an end. <laughs> We want effort to feel like this, right? It should be hard because hard feels good, but then it should also go, ah, right? And if we're lucky, there's someone we care about standing there to thank us and cheer us on and say, oh, I could never have done that myself. We have to kind of throw that away. Because when we talk about effort in this tradition, what we're implying but not saying is continuous effort. Continuous effort, by definition, cannot be the same as opening a jar. Because continuous effort has no end. There will never be a... That's not the point. I love this image of Sisyphus pushing the, the boulder up the mountain. And I think about it a lot because it's, it's, so, it's so visceral to me to imagine being him. And what I see in this image of someone on a, a very steep mountain and his you know, one leg is back and one leg is forward and his whole body is tense and he's got his hands on this boulder is that Maybe two or three percent of his effort 
has some sort of underlying idea of forward momentum. And the other 97%, if you imagine being there, is of just simply keeping that rock from rolling. The effort is not so much holding the rock <laughs> as holding to the decision to hold the rock. <laughs> If you let go, it's all over. Right. You can't let go for just a second. You're squashed <laughs> and the rock is gone. <laughs> and so you're just locked in this holding position. You're just staying with the thing that's in front of you. It may not be that you asked for that. It may not be that you requested that boulder, but that boulder is what's there. And when it's that big and it's that present, you know there really is no option B. Effort looks more like that. You know no one's going to come and take that rock from you. We have these other images of, in Zen of you know, hanging by your teeth from a branch. That's effort. Whatever happens at the end of your day, it's not success. No one will cheer. but you can apply yourself. So we look to this idea of continuous effort and then we ask ourselves, what is it that we're supposed to be continuously doing? There's so much to say about this, but it's actually fairly simple. The thing that we're supposed to be doing, the thing that is the work in front of us, is the work in front of us. Whatever that is. To just simply be here and not be somewhere else is the hardest thing. If there's anything that teaches us this, it's Zazen, where we sit down and we fantasize and we regret and we obsess. We have a natural inclination. We have a natural muscle that flexes in response to sitting in the silence of our own minds. And it says, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's go somewhere else. There's no moral quality to this. It's just simply noticing that when you are here, you're trying to go away. <laughs> And that when you are doing whatever you're doing, you're very often trying to get to the end of what you're doing. You're trying to get beyond it. You're trying to get to a result. And so you, you cultivate this effort of just being right here. Of being present. And I say this understanding that it's very easy for me to miscommunicate this. And it's very easy to misunderstand this idea of being right here. 
Because I think that we fall into sometimes a misunderstanding of, of mindfulness where being right here is very spa-like. You know, that if we're really right here, if we're really here with a capital H, that somehow here with a capital H is much better than here with a little H. Right? If we could just fully be here, then suddenly everything would get kind of cushy. It would get a little soft. Right? And there'd be gentle music. And we'd feel this sense of, ah, I'm here. But being here just means being here. One of the places where we practice this and where, in my case, I fail often, is in really being with someone in conversation. And only being with that person in conversation. I go home from work and, and immediately my wife and I are trying to kind of tell each other about our days. And she's telling me what happened. And I'm really trying to hear her and, and trying to hear her story. And at the same time, I'm finishing conversations from work. And I'm writing little emails that I forgot to write. And there's this whole other uh, kind of thought residue going on. And if I'm not careful... I can simply go through the motions of being with the person who's in front of me. It's not that I want to do that. It's not that it's intentional. It's that I'm trying to do at least two things at once. To really sit down and listen to another person is so incredibly rare that when you do it, it, it can leave you feeling kind of vulnerable. We usually pack a lot of things with us into a... We bring a lot of things to comfort us. We bring a lot of other ideas. We hear something and we let ourselves go off a little bit. To hold to the spot that you're in, in whatever you're doing, is just... you can go through your life without ever having done it. One of the things that I consider to be a kind of failure of Western Zen is this idea of the Zen arts. We get really excited about the Zen arts. Calligraphy and tea ceremony and flower arrangement and sometimes the martial arts, especially if it's a little bit more gentle like Aikido, something like that. We'll label this as something that is a spiritual practice. And in doing so, we completely undermine the beauty of what that is. All of these things, by the way, are things that I love I love them. But if you're sitting down with a brush in your hand and a piece of paper in front of you, and you're thinking, I'm not just going to do calligraphy, I'm going to do Zen calligraphy. Well then, 
you are never going to just do what's in front of you. Because you're singing this tune, right? You're singing the Zen song in your head, right? You're turning the lights down a little bit. You're lighting a candle. You're saying, look at what I'm really doing. It looks like calligraphy, but in fact, it's spiritual practice. When in fact, if you are a person who practices Zen, the most Zen thing you can do is to just simply do the thing. Mm -hmm. A Zen calligrapher picks up a brush and writes with no baggage. Mm -hmm. And a Zen martial artist practices the martial arts without any other story. Continuous effort, total effort, is kind of pure. Even Zazen, and again, one of the... What's so great about Zazen is it's where we test everything. It's where everything comes into focus. Can you sit in this posture, facing a wall, breathing, without your idea of who you are as a spiritual person and what you're accomplishing spiritually? Can you do that? If you can... then you can really start doing Zazen. If you can't, then there's a degree to which you're still humming that tune. And it's no different from thinking about your ex-girlfriend or thinking about the house you want to build. There's no distinction. As I've said before, I always say these things as pep talks to myself. (laughs) Because I know. I try to do a lot of things at once. And my mind gets very busy. And I, I, I give some tasks value, and I give some tasks... None. And sometimes I play with my kids, but I'm only half playing with my kids. You know. My daughter is coming and she's serving me tea with her little tea set, but I'm also kind of checking the news. You know. And I pick up the teacup and I drink a little bit and then I find out what happened in the US today. And in this way, I skim the surface of my life. I'm like a rock that's been thrown. It's going skip, 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 skip. Where if I would put down the phone, or if I would, you know, somehow step away from this other thing, then I could be like a rock that's just sinking to the bottom. and holding there.
I walk down the street and I distract myself with ideas. I get into an airplane and I suffer sometimes because recently it seems like airplanes don't show movies anymore. I get all excited that, you know, I, I, I'm tired of airplane travel. I've gone across the Pacific Ocean too many times, but I bring my fancy headphones and I sit down and I think, okay, I'm going to get through this. And then there's nothing. And I sit and I stare at the back of someone's seat. And it's fine. It's fine. But I don't even show up with the intention of being present. Right? I have to settle into it when all my other options have been taken away. On the other hand, I kind of love airports. Because airports have... They offer nothing. Right? All airports are the same. They have no distinguishing features in my mind. I'm five minutes in an airport and I don't know if I'm in Philadelphia or in San Francisco or in Seoul. And so I just walk and I concentrate on walking. I think today, for the next two hours until my plane arrives, I'm going to do nothing but walk and I'm going to stand straight up and I'm going to feel my feet on the ground and I do just this one thing. Because years ago I gave up on airports. <laughs> Because I've given up on the idea that I can distract myself, I often feel more alive in an airport than I do in my ordinary life. But when I have all my toys around me, I try to pick them all up at once. And I end up doing nothing as thoroughly as walking from gate 1 to gate 30. I just skim. And I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.